Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Grammy Award-winning jazz composer and orchestra leader Maria Schneider. We talked to her on August 13th, 2020, during the surreal COVID-19 world to talk about this new world of no live jazz, what she's been doing lately, her latest 2020 CD, Data Lords, a new double album inspired by conflicting relationships between the digital and natural worlds, featuring her acclaimed orchestra, of 18 world-class musicians. This native of Wyndham, Minnesota has gone on to become a favorite of both peers and fans alike. Enjoy. How are you doing today? Uh, oh, I'm good. The sun's shining here in Kansas City. I, I guess it's such a surreal reality that we're all in. You just, you know, they, they got a monopoly on it, so we got to just try to see the good in it. <laughs> Oh my God! It's just yeah, it's it's it is surreal. I just don't even like to even ask myself like, what's going to happen? I mean, for me, New York City. I look at New York City and just say, oh my God, what's going to happen? All these businesses leaving, people leaving, when that city has no tax revenue and it's already financially in trouble. Oh my God, it's scary. I hope it's not over. And, and but I will tell you from the outside looking in, when I kind of survey what's going on, what Cuomo's done up there has been truly remarkable. Um, I don't know that people in the beginning understood quite the scope of what he was doing, but I think from a, from a disease standpoint. So I think maybe that's kind of a, a positive measuring stick of what kind of rebound can happen because, you know, as far as I'm concerned, New York City is the epicenter of the universe. And if that turns into a sinkhole, the rest of the country will fall in. You know, being in the Midwest, we always kind of later get the trends from what happens on the coast. So people that are in top economic positions and are in brain trust positions have to understand that the viability of not only this country, but this planet is firmly on the shoulders of New York City. Well, that's interesting that you say that. But, well, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, um, that's that's. <laughs> That's all we can do. You know, before we get into your new double album, which is wonderful, and I love the duality of that, especially, I mean, I think it's really under the microscope now between this natural and digital world that we're kind of juxtaposed between, especially during COVID-19. But how did you find out this massive COVID-19 domino was falling in the world of live jazz was coming to a halt, say, early to mid-March? I had a feeling... I. We had a big tour set up, and, you know, I'm trying to think. I can't even think of the timing, but I remember calling my agent and my road manager and different people and saying, you know, I don't think this tour is going to happen. Oh, no, no, I think it's going to happen. I said, no, I don't, I don't see that, you know. And, mm-hmm. and at a certain point, I was feeling, I don't want people in my band being at risk, even if there's a question mark or us getting stuck someplace because of, you know, I think that cruise ship, that kind of stuff was already happening. And I thought, oh, my God, what if we get stuck somewhere because somebody was sick on a plane or, you know, and I don't know. So, um, and when everything started being canceled, you know, I started to wonder, what's going to happen to everybody? I mean, so thank God there are musicians that have teaching gigs. But there are many musicians in New York that rely on Broadway work. And the big double whammy is that the music union 
um, the the pension fund at the music union is in a financial decay, and it was already. The investments were mishandled, and there were all sorts of problems. And so those musicians that are old enough to start getting their pension, their pensions are being cut at the same time. And so I... These people that were in the best economic position are now, I'm scared, in the worst economic position at the most vulnerable time in their lives. So it's, it's, it's a tough time for sure. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, before I get to the artistic approach that went into this new album, I want to know just on a very base, simple level, I know it's not simple, but what is it like to release an album during a pandemic? You know, I've heard artists say there's a very special place for these albums that are coming out now. What are your ambivalent feelings, your overall feeling about this? Well, it was just hard to bring it to the finish line. And even now, it's the, the final finish line are the albums being, you know, the CDs being mailed to people. <laughs> the mail service is so slow right now. Yeah. Oh, my God. It took it One guy wrote me within the States. It took him 13 days to get it, and there's others that still have it. You know, so just the logistical things. And I was worried because one of the biggest ways I promote my music is through live concerts and selling at live concerts when you're face-to-face with people and they want a signature. That's just very powerful for, you know, selling an album. And so I made the decision to print a lot less than I normally would um, because I became not confident in the whole thing. But I think what's happening is that, especially with this album, I think that a lot of people are becoming aware of these two worlds that I'm addressing in this album Coincidentally, at this time, because of the pandemic, because so many people are dependent on Zoom, their kids are dependent on the of, on the internet in a way that you know they weren't to the same degree. Whole families are fighting for bandwidth, but at the same time, if I go to the garden store, they're completely out of plants because everybody's working on their gardens. You go, I go to the yeah. bird food section. Oh, they're, everybody's feeding their birds. So, and I drive around and I look and everybody's taking care of their yards like they never did before. So I think that the, that the, the two sides that are dressed on this album, people are finding that in their own lives. That oddly this thing is making people that's, we're disconnected, but we're connecting to other things in a deeper way if we can keep ourselves from just constantly binging on Netflix or something, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Stopping yeah. to read a book or, you know, or, or just hang out outside and watch the birds or, or just zone out and let your mind just wander, you know? Um, I think more people are discovering that side. You know, it, it's interesting during this time too, because these albums that are coming out were obviously hatched and, and, and orchestrated well before or even before this pandemic. How do you take the mindset of before and the magnitude of what we're living through right now and fuse that together into kind of a logical nutshell of, of, of what this artistic approach and what this album means right now during its release? You know, before, you know, these, these two worlds, you know, fighting to um, maintain my connection to the natural world while being inundated by the sheer mass of information and um, usury in the, in the big data world, you know, 
has been a struggle of mine and that's come out in the music. And I think people are becoming aware of it now. One of the things that um, went on that I think a lot of people read about was it have been the antitrust, um, you know, uh, hearings with uh, with Google, Amazon, Apple, and Facebook. The hear those hearings are like five and a half hours of hearings, and there's a lot in the news right now that I think is, and with the election too, you know, and how we get our news and the idea of election meddling, and um, you know, and people asking, you know. Google, are you are you manipulating um, you know political things in in search and whichever way that goes, you know, towards the right or the left? I think nobody wants that in in a democracy. I was just doing an interview right before you. I was um, on an interview with a woman from the UK, and you know what they experienced with that sort of thing and Brexit is is just what that can do to a country is unbelievable. So I, I think people are getting, becoming aware of it and maybe the pandemic is bringing some of that out. But, you know, otherwise, you know, who knew where this was all going to go? This is surreal. Yeah, really it is. Yeah, I keep waiting for David Lynch to walk down the middle of the street here and just yell cut. <laughs> <laughs> now, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> oh, man, what a great thing. You know, you've always managed to not only stay relevant, but to stay on the top of what you do musically. What's been the key to your longevity? What's been the key to you doing what you do so well and being so respected, not only by fans, but by your peers? Oh, God, I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I just follow my gut. You know, I was telling somebody the other day that my decision-making in music and, um, and even in mixing and in mastering has little to do with the mind and it has a lot to do with my stomach. You know, it's like when I first write a piece, you know, if I don't like something, I like physically don't like it. You know, if I love it, I'm physically, you know, just so excited. There's, there's no, there's no in between. And when I bring it to the band, if it doesn't sound like I expected and I'm disappointed, with what I did or, you know, and say, oh, that doesn't work like I thought it would. I mean, I literally get a pit in my stomach. And the same thing happened with the the mixing and the mastering. You know, I'd bring something home, work all day and say, okay, I think I got it. And then I'd come home and I'm like, oh, crap, I hate it. You know, it's not right. And, you know, so for me, it's almost physically impossible not to um, honor a sick stomach you know what I mean and so that's just kind of my guide and I just um I guess I feel these things on a pretty uh you know deep level and I trust in that and whether somebody likes it or not you can't predict that and I think I think it is a mistake generally for artists to say, oh, I'm going to try to do this angle because people really, I think people are going to like that, you know. I think the best that anybody can do with their art and their music or anything in life is do what you like or what you feel passion to do and do it the very best you can, the highest quality you can, 
and then let your audience find you because that is always going to be unique because we're each unique and your your own perspective. You know, I don't think you have to be some exotic person from some sort of exotic circumstance from an exotic place to be unique. We're all unique. So I just I just try to honor what comes from me and hope, you know, on a wing and a prayer that it's something people like enough to pay for. <laughs> yeah. So my final question is this. Everyone, we're going to get to a point, it's ambiguous at this point, but we, we're going to get to an end of COVID-19. There will be performances. When musicians get back on stage, when the audience and the crowd comes back, what do you hope we collectively get from this absence of live music? An appreciation for that relationship between the artist and the audience. You know, my band, when we perform, I, one of the things I always ask for is that the person doing the lighting brings the lights up. That it's, it's because, you know, if they have the house, if the stage is brightly lit, but the house is completely, you know, black, you can't see anybody's face. And my band never plays as well when we're in that situation. So I always say to the lighting person, can you just put up a little bit of light in the audience just so we can see back a few rows at least, you know, faces. And I think, you know, there is such an important relationship. It's the reason I love to play in a jazz club most of all with my band because the band feeds on the audience and the audience feels that and they see the the smiles on musicians' faces appreciating each other playing. And that, you know, ignites a sort of appreciation in the audience of other levels of the music. And I just think those aspects are so important to the music and just to being human. And I hope that people, and I think people will, really value that in a way, you know, um, and I think even for musicians, they'll no longer, oh, yeah, I have a gig tonight, I have to play a gig. It's like, oh, wow, I'm playing for people tonight. What a privilege, you know. Yeah. So, so like anything in life, I think when something's taken away, you appreciate it so much more, you know, and hopefully people will appreciate the businesses, the small businesses on their street, you know, and say, wow, I want to buy from that person instead of buying from Amazon, who during COVID, their profits increased exponentially as opposed to everybody else that was really suffering. You know, I, I hope that people become aware of those things and pull back and say, whoa, no, I value these things. I value that little store. I value that little restaurant. I value that little club. I value those musicians, that artist. And, and, you know, and that's what I hope comes from it. Wonderful. Me too. Maria, thank you for taking some time out for Neon Jazz. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and composers in New York City, Minnesota, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Maria for her time, music, and stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.